Folks, welcome back to the Morocco channel. This is Talented Morocco Worldwide with your host, Hurricane Age. New day, new show, new guest, great guest, great topic we're going to talk about. And uh, of course, the Morocco channel is the first uh, Moroccan channel for the Moroccans of the world and anyone who has interest in Morocco. Uh, to highlight Moroccans and their talent, you know, and, and they are all over the world and they contribute everywhere and we'd like to bring that and also to bring you in Morocco a closer look at, you know, uh, things that you might or might not know how how things work around the world. Also, this is an English version only kind of channel primarily. I mean, we might have some people and we'll translate, but this is predominantly to introduce English as the a language of media in Morocco, and it's 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 live literally from uh, the area of New York City, Jersey, so so the metropolitan area of New York. So again, from the source of you know a secondary source of English, if you want to call it that way. Anyways, without any further ado, I have with me uh, Taria Etemery, and Taria, um, she is uh, uh, a Moroccan and uh, American, and she's been in the states for a period of time, and uh, we're going to talk about her story and what she does and she's going to bring us some real nuggets and uh insights about her industry and uh i do have some background in her industry so we're going to have a nice talk about it <laughs> but anyway so so taria welcome to our show today thank you i appreciate it i'm happy to be here well listen i you and i we met at an event and we've we've connected and you know i i feel that your talent is definitely uh, needs to be highlighted and uh, definitely so you have a lot of stuff to share uh, with, with people in general but specifically our Moroccan uh, you know I guess uh, compadres <laughs> you know yeah. our Moroccans of the world and you know uh, you have also been in the States for a period of time and you know as always I always ask like to to get us started with your story how you got to the States and uh, how that transition was and what advice can we give people who have an intention to potentially come to the States or anywhere around the world and then we'll go into, you know, your current occupation and, and how uh, that, that whole world works. Yes. All yours, Dorit. <laughs> All right. So I actually came here May 2001. Um, it was shortly before 9-11. <laughs> so it was a... Uh, Half time. I, I, got to, I got to experience the before and after um, America. Um, but uh, when I, I had just finished my second year of college... Um, when I got accepted to Metro State in Colorado. Uh, so I came straight to Colorado, um, started studying there. Uh, it, was, it wasn't an easy adjustment. Thankfully, I did have um, some family friends that lived there, hence why I chose Colorado, um, who were able to help me integrate a little bit, um, find connections, and and and, uh, and so forth. So that was, I think, that's very important for us to go where there's somebody that could give us some direction, um, and kind of facilitate uh, the connection. I think, and and I'll talk about this while I'm talking about myself, just because I see this every day in my in my line of business. I think it's very important for Moroccans that are coming to secure uh, lodging and secure connections before coming and not just think that they're going to be able to make it right off the bat, um, especially with all the challenges. Regardless, I came, I started at Metro State, and then from there to UCD. Um, I worked at uh, a restaurant while doing all of this. Uh, I worked the, the evening shift, so it was very challenging. Um, 
but but we made it work. Uh, I found a, a girl that was also here by herself. So we connected, we lived together. And then I just found a wonderful community in Colorado, um, Syrian and Turkish community that literally took me like I was their own. They treated me like a daughter, like a sister. And I think that made my, I mean, the challenge was huge, but that made my life easier, just knowing that I have a community to back me up. Unfortunately, there wasn't a big Moroccan community in Colorado when I came. Um, there were a few, uh, which, you know, did everything they could to help each other. Uh, but the community was really, really small. So it wasn't much, you know, um, to rely on. Um, and then in 2012, I, I met my now husband and uh, moved to New Jersey. <laughs> and I made a life here. After college, I worked at, um, I worked in sales in credit card processing. I mainly had, I think it was uh, fortunate for me that I was able to speak French and Arabic. So I took hold of the Canada market. Um, and in my company, it was a huge um, market in there. So they really needed somebody that I think the Arabic helped as well, because a lot of the vendors and a lot of the merchants over there uh, spoke Arabic. So for me, it was just seamless. I was able to take that entire market and then they added the east coast to it so i started to be i became the vp of sales for um eastern us and canada and and at some point it was all of canada and eastern us so it was um it was a huge opportunity for me and i think the language skills is what opened it up obviously you have to have the people skills you have to have the uh, sales uh endurance and know-how, but I think the language is is what really did it for me. Um, I did that for quite a bit until I came here uh, to New Jersey. I continued that for a little bit, but then having kids, it's you know you just have to choose your priorities as a woman. Am I really gonna nail down my career and go after that, or am I gonna give the kids? you know, more time, stay at home, take care of them. So my husband and I made the choice for me to stay home at that time and just take care of the kids. Um, in the meantime, I I'm not the person to just sit and do nothing. So I took on a new challenge. I learned baking. I started to do cakes, um, fondant cakes. Uh, I still have my Instagram page. <laughs> <laughs> uh, named after my firstborn Jenna's cakes <laughs> so that was that was it was a really good thing to do while I'm sitting at home watching kids it just gave me an outlet to be artistic to be creative to bring in some money I, I started with making small smash cakes to making five tier six tier seven tier wedding cakes that demanded a lot of time, a lot of work and cost a lot of money. Um, so it, I think I just made the best out of it at the time, um, just getting my me time doing creative things. Um, after that, uh, I opened a restaurant. In the meantime, I started to do uh, real estate uh, on the commercial side for the, for the franchisors just helping find the locations, negotiating with landlords, et cetera. And that's, that's just really what caught me into real estate. I opened the restaurant at the wrong time. It was COVID. It was 
I, we opened in October, COVID hit in March. So it was very challenging um, not to give that experience up for anything because I learned so much. I, you know, it was costly. It was challenging. But the the knowledge that you gain from going through that process is immense. Um so I don't I don't regret it at all. We we continued on through I think August 2021 is when we closed and that's when I think January 2021 is when I really laser focused on on real estate and started to take in residential as well. And um it's just real estate is just such a good combiner of many of many things. You have to have skills people skills you have to have customer service skills, sales skills, and um, you just have to be that emotional support because this is an emotional decision for most people. Yet, it's one of the biggest financial decisions they're going to make in their life. So it, you just have to be that balance between the two. Um, and I think that's where I found my niche. That's where I feel like I I wake up every day feeling like I make a, a difference in people's lives, and um, here we are. That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> well, that that's that's a 22 years, uh, you know, 20 plus years of of history in less than 15 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah. and and it's a lot of stuff in there. So, so let me let me break it down a little bit because there's so much stuff that you've covered in that, you know, in, in these short minutes here. And I think a lot of people, you know, can benefit from the things that you stated there and we can, you know, expand on a few of them. One, uh, you came to the States and you were in college. Uh, I mean, uh, the university, whatever, you know, they refer to as good college in Morocco for some people may, yeah. they may think you're still in, in, in mid school. So college obviously is, is the university level, uh, the associate degree or like the first two years or premier cycle as we call it. And, uh, in premier six, deuxième six, that depends, you know. So, anyways, for the Moroccans, that was just to clarify. Uh, but for for anybody else, we know what college is, you know. <laughs> but 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 here's the thing: so that was a that was a transition, right? You went from Moroccan yeah. education uh, into you know uh, the states. Now now the good news is you came into an education system, uh, so that was that was a, a great thing because you did talk about when people come in here, they have to to have a, a you know. I guess plans to know uh, where they're going to have some some uh, get some some host family or some friends somewhere where they don't have to struggle that first transition. And in your case, I mean, you come to college. I mean, same thing with me. I came in to work in Disney, so I had all that stuff pre-done for me in a way. Mm -hmm. Not easier, but not everybody has it that easy. And even for you, when you go to college, you have to. You know, it's not like you know, it's a job where they're going to set you up. You got to figure these things on your own. Right. So a lot of people need to understand. If you're planning, if you're not coming in, even sometimes when you come with a job, you might get a job, but they don't give you everything else. Now, I again, very few opportunities give you the the lodging and the uh, you know the the transportation to get in and stuff and give you that first start. But it it changes from one person. A lot of people come to the states through lottery, and that still yeah. exists every year. You can actually anyone from Morocco, you can apply. Still, um, Morocco is one of the countries that are that are benefiting from the uh, DV uh, lottery annually, and so mm -hmm. uh, you can do that. But if you did that, you have to plan correctly. So let's make sure we have that you know in play now. Unfortunately, you came in, in in probably one of the worst <laughs> historic moments of the, you know, of the states, you know, probably one of the, the, the biggest tragedies since, since Pearl Harbor, which was 9-11. Uh, and again, being of, of 
Arabic, uh, you know, uh, Islamic, you know, faith, that, that's always a challenge. And again, for people that, that are new to the States from Morocco, from anywhere in the world, they might not feel the same brunt that, that we had then. Uh, although today, I mean, there's some stuff that's going on in the world that you can still feel some animosity and some yeah. things that can, you know, depend because of your name, because of, you know, where you belong and your heritage and these things. So without going political, <laughs> you know, but it, it is it is almost happening again now, but it's a li yeah. di little different angle because it's not really, you know, it's a, just a partial, you know, event, if you want to call it, where people are still being, Correct. you know, uh, in between decisions on, on where, where the likes, you know, are going to be, whether they like one body versus the other. So it's happening. And I'm referring to what's going on in the Middle East right now. But yeah. but, but but in 9-11, it was just a big, blunt, you know, uh, tragedy that everybody, you know, kind of suffered from. And of course, the first community that suffered through it was anybody with a Muslim or Arabic name. <laughs> you know, yeah. they they were there. Now you came in here. I'm sure that that transition was difficult. And now you also <laughs> were not in, the, the East Coast or New York area stuff, you were in Colorado, which, which is a whole different, you know, dynamics. As you get deeper in the States, you know, things are different when we actually in the big hubs, like the Boston yeah. area, the Washington, the New York, anywhere where there's a lot of uh, diversity and metropolitan, you know, like, you know, melting pots type of, you know, locations, it's a little bit more acceptable. You can mix it a little bit easier. But if you're in, in, in other states, you basically like, you know, stand up like a sort out. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. only a few. And so people look at you and depends on where they stand in the position at that time. Everybody was pro us, you know, we stand United and stuff and, you know, everybody else, you know, we became part of like, you belong to this enemy, you know, uh, you know, uh, folks. And although you have nothing to do with it, but it was a difficult task. And so, uh, you know, I, I mean, I know it was not easy, but, but you made it through. So again, uh, we hope that no one has to experience that, but I actually, yeah. I, I was in the States when that happened and I can tell you it was not an easy you know, days. I mean, for it went on for for a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, the the day that it happened. If I can share the story, Please, um, yeah. the day that it happened. Uh, as you know, Colorado is a couple hours behind. Mm -hmm. So I, I woke up. I got to class. I didn't have any idea. I didn't turn on the news at the time. It wasn't uh, phone accessible where you could check Twitter or whatever and find out what's going on in the world. So I, I get into class and the teacher plays a clip uh, letting us know what happened that day. Uh, it was a political science class. And um, he, uh, he played a video of um, people cheering in the street because that happened. And supposedly he's saying, oh, look, this is what the Middle East is doing. They're cheering on uh, because we are being attacked. And I had a student sitting behind me. Well, the teacher asked the question, if I get an opportunity to go to where these people are, what would I do? And the student sitting behind me literally said, if I had an opportunity to go to the Middle East, I would kill, kill, kill. And I, I remember mm -hmm. I just turned around and I'm thinking, do, do I even want to say who like who I am? Do I even want to respond to these kind of do I want to share with the class who I am, where I come from? Um, I think uh, there was a, a Palestinian student in the classroom with me and just feeling that tension. He came and sat in the in the table right next to me. And then we had to go to the teacher and talk to him after just letting him know how we feel about the type of videos and questions that he was sharing. 
But it was at the time, everybody was just so angry. It's just, you just better have not answered any questions, not commented on anything. Just keep your mouth shut and, and make it through the day. <laughs> yeah, it, well, thank you for sharing that. Because that's actually, that, that is a very tough, you know, experience. I mean, I remember the same thing. I, I mean, I opened, I turned the TV on and, you know, my partner at the time, it's funny because we owned a, a real estate school at the time. And so yeah. he calls me and, and and we, you know, he says, look at the, the TV. So I'm looking at the event. I see the first plane. And then as you watch that first, you know, think you see the second hit and that's it. I mean, your, your face just drops because you know, this is going to be rough. And then you go in the streets. It was, by the way, I lived on Staten Island. So at that at three days we were on lockdown. Staten Island was... Uh, there were supposed re reports of some people that looked like wow. they were, you know, uh, you know, part of this plot. And so mm -hmm. they closed the island, can go anywhere. It was just the weirdest thing. I mean, experience. And it was it was I mean, there was a lot of hate, a lot of uh, backlash. And it didn't help to see some of these these scenes on TV that the media highlighted, you know, royally to to even in, incite more of, <laughs> of, yeah. of that. And again, it, it was a sad place. But but frankly, folks, you know, um, let's hope that. Um, this doesn't repeat itself and hopefully that you know uh, people have gotten more educated on what it is and how people are and uh, you know uh, you can't judge you know one big group <laughs> because of an action of someone or a couple of people and that's just that but but you know so thank you for sharing that transition but because that's like a very difficult moment for someone to come in and most people come in in between these these big events and there is nothing you come in there's a war going on you know also even immigration becomes very difficult and the process becomes difficult and the the the, the actual investigative stuff you know where they do the background checks everything becomes more difficult when you have mm -hmm. Serious event like that. So, and by the way, a lot of people did not even get renewed their visas, you know, for as a student. Yeah, after that. that was another thing that happened right there. You know, people could not get their visas, you know, renewed, and uh, a lot of students had to leave. Depends what country. So it was it was just very tragic. So so thank you for sharing that. You know, at least you know uh, we're bringing some history moment here. But but you happen to live that moment as you transited to the states. But this happens around the world. You can go to any other country where there's some conflict going. And then your life becomes, I mean, in, in the Ukraine, for example, you know, when the war began, a lot of students, Moroccan students are in Ukraine and, uh, you know, a lot of people had to leave also. It was a difficult task for them. And this is more recent events. And, you know, these things always happen around the world. And uh, so when you decide to go a different country, sometimes you have to to see whether this is the right time or is it not the right time. But sometimes you have no choice. You could not possibly have imagined it. You came in a couple of months before and boom, and, and it happened. It's just uh, just that. I mean, believe it or not. So, in before nine eleven happened, we had just started the American uh, the American Arab Association of New York. It it was literally a few months before, and okay. as it happened, which is still active now, as it happened, it was a few of us that started. Uh, you know, uh, there was a doctor, Palestinian. There was a Palestinian lady, uh, Lebanese, uh, another Palestinian, my partner, and myself. And we started it. And then when we did, you know, it happened about six months before. So we were literally participating in a lot of the mitigation and things like that, working with NYPD at the time with the elected officials, doing visuals, doing stuff to try to, you know, educate and get people more like tighter. But it was a very difficult time, you know, and 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 I can tell you uh, a lot of people got together to to make it, you know, to try to make it as, you know, but it was really lingering. So, anyways, that's not what we're here today about. But so, so now, it's not, no, not, now you lived in in Colorado, as you said. The community was very limited. So that's the other thing. Being in an area where there is no community sometimes is for you, sometimes against you. It makes it a lot easier to transit into a community. 
but that can make you also lazy. <laughs> Let me say that because when you come into a community where your language is, you know, is is there, your uh, I guess everything is easy. You can find a job, you know, uh, here and there that you can make things. Sometimes it makes you so comfortable that you don't do more. <laughs> you just, you know, you stay in that, you know, that that pot, and you get stuck in that circle. In your case, you finished your school. And you got a career path, which, which, by the way, I mean, credit card companies are huge. They still are. They will always be. And, <laughs> uh, you know, you found a way, you know, to, to you know, and, and by the way, you're talking about credit card processing, which, yeah. uh, which, by the way, I have a pet beef with that today because not with the credit card companies, but with the businesses that are taking advantage of it. And, and I'm referring to now they've always charged fees. For any business, if you had a business, you had a credit card terminal, there were fees for transactions. Right. But all of a sudden, after COVID, those transactions have become, you know, the consumer's, you know, burden now. Everybody has to pay those if you pay with credit card versus if you pay with cash. And, you know, it, it's, you know, that's a whole different topic. We can, yeah, that's my rent. Yeah, the, that's merchants passing it on to consumers because it became too much at some point. Well, yeah. it's, I think the rate is the same. I don't think that changed much, but, but really it's just, this just got savvier. So, you know, why do I have to pay it? But, you know, I would also <laughs> say this, what happened to business expense? I mean, you know, plus it's not like they didn't increase the prices, right? I mean, everything increased. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you have to give in and once. So again, Restaurants, people out there. I mean, you, you've, you know, this is not new. I mean, it's always been there. Anybody that had a business and used a credit card terminal had to pay fees. You were processing those. <laughs> you run the department that did that, and this is for years. And so, COVID happened only three years ago. So, this whole thing where we have to pay for them is really just, uh, you know, an asset that that these businesses, merchants, as you said, taking advantage yeah. of, just moving it to the consumer. But it's adding more on the consumers. And I can guarantee you, folks, if you're watching, if you own a business right now, you probably have less frequency or less redundancy you know, of, of one family member to come to you because they might not want to pay those extra fees as much as they did, you know, they didn't before. So, again, I'm just saying, but I've, that's my my personal view on what that, that looks like since we talked about credit cards. Uh, now in Morocco, it's it's still the same, I think, right? They the yeah. are still there, and they there's a transaction. For and that. it's it's not it's not everywhere. I noticed it more in the East Coast is where it's it's passed on to consumers, whether it be gas stations. When I first came to New Jersey, and I was in the credit card processing industry, and I had never seen that before in 2012. Um, seeing that in certain states, it was illegal to do that to charge to different prices. Well, I, I think it is. I mean, you know, listen, I mean, it's the cost of doing business. I mean, you have yeah. to have credit. If you want to take credit cards, you're going to have to pay for them. And right. I mean, if you have PayPal, you pay for it, right? You know, same, similarly, yeah. it's a transaction. Now, by you putting that on, on, on the credit card, on the receipt, you know, for someone else to pay for it, yet you're actually charging, you know, the price, you know, of your goods and services and all the meals, right. whatever. It's already, I mean, you went, and here's the thing. I mean, I, and this is just specifically for the restaurants. I noticed that the meals have gone, you know, the portions has smaller and the prices are higher and more fees. And you got all these extra charges now that you get from everywhere. And everybody's trying to make up for the losses in, in during the pandemic. But frankly, folks, you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta do something about this. <laughs> yeah. You know, As a it's, consumer, it's it doesn't make sense. Yeah, having been in every side of this, I was a restaurant owner, I was in credit card processing, and I am a consumer. I I can tell you that it's it just from every side that you look at it, you can find justification. Of course, the, I yeah, the cost of doing business for restaurants, especially. I mean, I'm not talking about the other businesses, but restaurants especially, 
is immense from labor to um, cost of goods to it's it's just it has become you know unbearable and i think at some point restaurants are going to be just a commodity at some point because it's the, it just seems like it's not sustainable it's not going to be sustainable in the future at all well again especially if you're right i mean everything is expensive and and more people and even the quality of the food i mean you know they yeah it's healthy i mean there's more sodium more stuff some people will prefer now to save money and just eat home and you know there's there's all kind of th- discussion but you're right it is a difficult business uh, yeah. You know, there's there's no doubt. I mean, we love our restaurants overall. I mean, we do you get enjoy, you know, a little meal with the family. You want to get out. You're tired sometimes from eating home. So it has a, it has a flavor. It makes sense. But you're right. If, you know, the cost is and everything is about cost and, and you have the best experience because you were literally as a consumer, yeah. you own the restaurant and you were on the credit card. So, you know, it from different angles. Yeah. And, and you, you said and, it perfectly. And, and, yeah, I mean, it's funny because you had some clients that would say, or some customers that would say, um, do you guys use plastic stuff? Because I won't support a restaurant they use plastic stuff. But they don't understand that switching completely to recyclables is very expensive. Just the price of straws is going to go from $0.05 cents a straw to maybe about 18 cents a straw just a simple thing that you know and and here are consumers that are now environmentally friendly which i do support wholeheartedly but they are going to penalize a restaurant for something but then they don't want to contribute to the cost of that thing so it just becomes kind of like a two-sided thing which you know it's it's very interesting well thank you uh, for for our more working audiences just just to be clear because i'm not sure how you know, close out, you know, are we in Morocco compared to the States when it comes to this, you know, eco-friendly, you know, kind of things. Uh, I mean, here there's like, you know, paper straws, although there have been studies to show that these are not as the, the safest as they thought, you know, we have the paper bags, we have the different things. So there's this whole thing where you want to be eco-friendly kind of restaurants where, you know, you don't use bad things or use recyclable stuff that is, you know, uh, you know, natural, you know, uh, ingredients whatever not made from natural you know products or recyclable products so this way you can save the planet kind of concept which what we do want to save our planet we live in here it's our home <laughs> you know but so so just to, to clarify for our moroccans i mean if you know because we still use i tell you one thing in morocco i've seen this they give you coffee cups on on these these um uh what do you call them the rest areas in a plastic cup i mean i've never seen coffee in a plastic cup but i've seen yeah. it in some of those areas which is you know i was like what why would you give a plastic cup for for a hot drink i mean the plastic will just melt to the top and it did so so stuff like that i mean you know again for our people in charge you know if they're listening to this show you know maybe you want to take a look at that i mean there are cups specifically for coffee that you know, and again i think it's that what you just said it's the cost Everybody yeah. is worried about the cost. Everybody wants to cut a cost because they expected to get more if they did that. But there is a balance that you have to find. I mean, you're right. If there is a cost that goes up if you do the right stuff, and sometimes if the quality, I mean, there's there's always that uh, you know balance between quality and quantity, between the mm-hmm. price and the quality. Do I sacrifice one versus the other? Which one? But sometimes you can find a good medium, you know, play where you can actually do them both. Right prices, right stuff depends on what you deliver, what your service is. But, you know, sometimes one cent or two cent, you know, can make a difference. But really, you know, that's not a lot to to put into the consumer. But again, that's the thing. It, it's subjective because you can go from a couple cents to, to a few dollars and then that adds up. 
Yeah. Again, but but so now <laughs> that takes that takes me to your experience about starting a business because uh, there. So you have uh, you know a, a dual experience in life, and the reason I want to say this is because you work in the corporate and you went up the ladder, and actually that's that's banking and you know finances and credit card processing it touches on a lot of money, and there's mm-hmm. there's money to be made there. So the and also it's the corporate ladder. So. We'd like you to to share with us that experience. How was it? How easy was it for you to actually climb the ladder? The, the ladder, especially, you know, we hear the stories about women versus men in terms of the corporate, you know. So maybe you can share that with our audiences. And then the other one is, then you went to, in you know, an entrepreneurial you know space where you wanted to be your own boss and run your own stuff. And I mean, we're gonna talk about the timing <laughs> and and that, but let's share about that for people that are coming. Uh, or people around the world that that decide to 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 go into the corporate from your experience, how that experience was, and then if they decide to become entrepreneurs, what would you tell them to do or not to do? <laughs> you know, as as your experience personally. So, from a corporate perspective, and climbing the ladder, I think hard work and dedication is is the key. That's number one. Number two is you have to have the people skills. I know that a lot of people think that this only exists in Morocco, that it depends on who you know. Um, That's going to dictate how far you make it, but it also exists in the corporate world. You have to be savvy. You have to cater to, how do I say this? You have to know how to treat people, especially people that are in high places. You, they won't see you. They're not going to go out there and look for you and see your work, no matter how good you are. You have to make sure that they see you. And the way you do it is by networking, building connections, uh, volunteering, finding out what they need and getting it done, even if it's not your business, even if it's not your job. And I know a lot of people will say, I'm not getting paid for that. But you will. In the long term, you will get paid for that. Because when um, they start to think about putting the right people in the right places, they're going to rely on their interactions and who they know. Not somebody who maybe is doing a great job, but they really don't know who that person is. So my biggest thing was getting to know who the key people are in the company and figuring out how I can help them, even if that means I'm, I have to do extra work that is not my job. Um, making presentations. I, When I wanted to take over the VP of sales for Canada and the Eastern US, there were people that were presented for that job that had nothing to do with speaking French. They probably are going to have to hire people that would translate for them to do the job. I made a presentation to the key people in the company, explaining to them and doing this. I remember I did a a slideshow with why you should pick me, why I should be the person in this position. And in every slideshow, I kept reintroducing that I speak the language, I know the business, and you're pretty much just going to hire somebody that's going to hire me to do the job. So eliminate that middleman um, between me and you. So I think the the key thing is just knowing where you want to be and just going after it. Put yourself out there. Um, Make 
cakes for the boss's daughter's birthday. That's okay. As a woman, I can do that. Maybe a man would feel awkward doing something like that. But utilize your gender in the things that you do best. When there is a company party, volunteer to make uh, a side dish that everybody will enjoy because then everybody's going to ask who made this and then they're going to know who that person is start a conversation with you and then know who you really are and what you can bring to the company. So I, I really did use every aspect of it to, you know, to be able to get, to get to where I need to get. Well, so, so hold that thought. So you're touching on, on very powerful things and folks, you know, here's the thing uh, we, you said it best, like, you know, in Morocco, it's who, you know, right. But, but that's everywhere, folks, even in the corporate world. It's not necessarily who you know. That means somebody knows you. They're just going to give you the freebie. Uh, that may happen in Morocco, but not here. But the difference is they got to like you. You know, that, that gives you a bonus. That gives you a different, you know, a little bit more cushion and a, an opportunity, if you want to call that. You still have to do the work. You still have to be equally balanced to, to get the job done. They're not going to give you the job because they like you and you, you suck at what you do. They're going to give it to you if they like you, but they know you're also capable. But there's other capable people equally to you. You just want to be different. And by the way, that is the differentiator between, you know, someone who highlights themselves in anything in life. You know, there's there's thousands of us or millions of us that do exactly the same work. What makes one versus the other better mm -hmm. is how you highlight yourself. And and, and you, you said key points, you know, volunteer, do more. And by the way, I can relate to you. So my, my in my career, I mean, in 30 years, I've been in, in the insurance space. And my first job, in the insurance literally it was my first day and there was an event they called me to the event and the president of the company was there that day and i got lucky because she happened to be working in morocco for years back you know she was uh volunteering you know in a particular program in uh, in morocco so she she kind of related to she loved loved the moroccan culture but she didn't know i was moroccan at the time so i was just actually working and you know I, and i was like this is my first and that's always me I, when i was in disney i was really happening right and making things happen and same concept so i'm working walking the, the crowds talking to people engaging and stuff she noticed that and that's her job like she was a very active ceo so she was really looking at you know who are the and, and the company at the time was very we had we were like small company and then we grew obviously over the years but in that moment you know, I got her to literally call upon me in less than a week in, an, in in a meeting. And she made mention of me because she noticed that. And then from that point on, she had me on her basically eyesight as I was yeah. doing the work. And I was, you know, and that, you said something also powerful. We have an advantage, folks. You know, if you're Moroccans of the world, well, we have a lucky streak, which is we all kind of speak multiple languages. And I have to tell you exactly what happened to you, Taria. It happened to me. It, the reason I was hired is because I spoke Arabic and Spanish, <laughs> you know, I was able to be hired for this particular role. The languages were the reason I was in. The languages yeah. were the reason you were given that role. And so it makes sense. A lot of us in Morocco now, the reason we're doing this show in English is English is not our priority languages in the country. And so therefore we created this opportunity so people can start getting more accustomed to it. Shows in English and we're going to do a lot more programming to just bring this to the youth and so the next generation can be comfortable with you know english and english you know moroccans and, and english in general as as a, as a communication skills you know language across the world 
but I can tell you that's exactly what happened. Eventually, they needed a retention team, so they needed someone that was multiple, you know, languages. Mm-hmm. They gave me the role, and then from there, I grew up. And same thing like you. I was doing a lot more. I worked more hours. I spent more time. And by the way, in Morocco, we probably call this kiss ass, you know. And I'm sorry yeah. about the French here, you know. But it's not kiss ass. That's your career path. You're working. You're not. You're not asking for freebies, but you have to. Highlight yourself. I can give you an example. Right. I was one of 10 people that did exactly the same job that were there in a community. So I was in a community that was predominantly Spanish. Everybody around me that was working there was Latino. And therefore, they had better chances in the hospital systems that we were working in. And in order for me to make a difference, I had to do more than them. I had to put more hours. Mm-hmm. I had to literally do a lot more you know, action, you know, and, and be doing different things from them and, and le- legitimate legal things. So an example they all have cousins working in that hospital that I was working at. And this was in Brooklyn. And so I had to find new allies within the hospital. I had to find new clinics and areas where I can do stuff. I had to do more. So they used to come in at night between nine to five. I used to come from between seven to seven. I worked three more hours, four hours a day extra just to make, you know, my numbers higher. So eventually in sales, you know, you can show yourself in the ranking. So, but that's what we did, Turia. You made yourself available. You made yourself very visible to the powers that be. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. People, like, again, as a leader, you as a VP, me as also being in a VP role, we look for those, those you know, identifiers for key people in the team. Who are your players? Like, you know, again, if you play football, soccer, whatever, you scout those people. You got to scout the best players, right? You're not going to scout, you know, you're not going to take everybody that you watch. I mean... We have that in college football here in, 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 and even in Moroccan football, right? You know, so you got these coaches, they go and they check the players. There's Everybody plays football and soccer in Morocco, right? But everybody gets selected for the national team. Same concept. You want to pick the best of the best. But the best of the best have to be doing something better. I mean, I was watching a movie. It just came out, Gran, Gran Turismo. It's an actual. Well, if you watch this movie, I, I'm going to be using it for training purposes and leadership and skill sets and teamwork and all the stuff because it's a very, there's got a lot of stuff in it. But if you look at that, you know, there's thousands of people and you got to have to pick some of the best, but those best have to show themselves as right. better than most of the others. And that's all there is. Some people say, well, I don't want to do that. You know, well, then you're going to stay where you are. So if you yeah. really want to make a difference, you're going to be the difference. <laughs> you got to yeah. be that and one. I, and I think as Moroccans, we have a, a huge advantage. In addition to the language skills, we are all people, people. <laughs> you know, we, we, right. like, we like to interact. We like to cook. We like to gather and, and gather around Fun. meals. And, and, you know, I think we need to use that to our advantage. And just like you said, highlighting where we're from and everybody's so curious these days and back then to know more about Morocco and about a different culture. And listen, this works in everybody's advantage. We work as ambassadors to our homeland. And at the same time, we use that to, you know, open a door with with a lot of Americans because they are Americans are very open to other cultures. They want to learn. They want to know how do you make this food? How does this? And I think that's a great conversation and relationship starter. I think food has played such a role in my life where every, like literally all of the VPs that uh, I was fortunate to have uh, the senior team was 80% women in the company that I was in. So it was just really fantastic to connect with all of these people and 
use my background, where I come from, as a key component in connecting with them. They were so fascinated by everything Moroccan. And I took joy and pride in showing them what that is. And at the same time, it put me on their roadmap when they're looking back to see who can do the job better. Obviously, I had to prove myself in doing the job, but at the same time, it put me at a, like you said, it highlighted me because then they go back and they say, well, we know her. We don't know who that other person is. Thank you. By the way, so that there's a, I love what you said, that the 80% of the, the top, you know, echelon of the company <laughs> was women. And and so there is, there is a, you know, especially for our Moroccans listening to this, this is a, a quick message. Because I know historically we've heard, like, you know, for a woman, for example, in Morocco, to make it to the top, you know, she has to sacrifice, you know, a lot of things and do things that may not be acceptable, right? You know, we have this, this, at least I've heard this, you know, over and over. We've seen it depicted in some Moroccan movies. You don't have to do that stuff, you know, you know, in the world. You just have to do your job and be who you are, be genuine. You don't have to accept, you know, anything that is, you know, illicit, that is not appropriate and whatever. You just got to do your work. But I love what you said, you know, because someone may live, well, you probably make it because there's a bunch of guys out there that like you and stuff. That's not the case here, folks. And, you know, so let's understand, you know, and actually, as I said, the CEO was a woman. I've worked, I've reported to more women than men personally. Yeah. Okay. And I have no problem with that. They're just great, you know, leaders. And if they're great leaders, that's what you want. And it's not, it's that chemistry is that, you know, it's not because they like me or because I was one versus the other. You know, it's about the work you do and your personality. And I love what you said. We are people, people. <laughs> we love to socialize. I mean, you get into a, you know, a bunch of Moroccans in a room and we have a party. I mean, that's just what it is, right? <laughs> you know, it just, it always happens. And we have to help each other. We have to support each other as opposed to hate each other or not support each other. I mean, the idea is that we can do more together. I love what you said also to me about, yes, the American people are, you know, open. They enjoy cultures. You know, even if they don't know, they're curious and they want to learn. Now, despite everything that we talked about, the tragedy of 9-11 and things like that, you still are always open to listen. If you talk to them, oh, yeah. they'll, they'll listen. They, they'll, they'll, they'll give you. Now, if they don't, that's okay. There's plenty. But but that's not the, the overall, the majority. They're very yeah. decent people who want to, to, to discover, who want to learn. They don't know. Sometimes, it's just a big country and they get busy and sometimes they don't know cultures. And when they meet a culture, they get really intrigued. And we can do that. And we, by the way, we have also another advantage. You talk to any American and say, we are the first nation that recognizes the United States of America. Oh, really? And you can start right there. I mean, you have something to, to work, you know, for us here. But this is also across the globe. Not, I mean, anywhere in the world, if you have Moroccans, I mean, listen, I can say we have some elements of the Moroccan, you know, community around the world that may not give us the best picture, but we have the other majority of Moroccans that do give us the best picture in the world. I mean, look, we just had a great World Cup. Now we're going to host one. Uh, you know, so so our teams are doing a great, terrific job. Every day they're conquering different sports and stuff. And we have this this whole platform. The idea of the Morocco Channel is to create an opportunity to highlight, you know, talent around the world. And talent varies in, in scale. But, you know, we have a lot of people that are doing great things, you know, around the world that nobody knows about. And, you know... I mean, yes, we have Moroccan televisions, but but that's okay. They they highlight the the actual stars, the people that made it to the spotlight. But there's a lot of people that are not on the spotlight, but yet they're doing contributions around the world. And you know, maybe we can give an opportunity for those folks to be there. But the idea is we have talent everywhere, we have abilities, and we can do and deliver. So so Taria, 
now 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 was thank you by the way about that 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 whole thing yeah. about the corporate piece because that's important. But then now you decided and you to make a sacrifice. And let me say this because as a mother, you have decisions to make about children. Now some people say, well, did you succumb to your husband and he decided? Because and again, I'm I'm just addressing some of the mentality yeah. that may be out there, like you know, watching the show, and they may say like, well, yeah, you gave up your career because you wanted to follow man or decision of man. It's not the case, folks. At least not in my world. You know, decisions are made together. My wife and I, we're a team. We do a lot of things together. We do balance things. And yes, you made the choice to to stay home for your kids because I think that's an important piece. I personally believe that is a beautiful thing. And that sacrifice is not unnoticed and not, you know, bad because your kids are going to have your attention and they're going to grow up in the proper way and they get the right foundation. And you did that as, as a, a collective, you know, decision. That's actually a modern, you know, concept that we think of, but it's been in existence forever. I mean, we can go back to the time of the Prophet Sallallahu and he, you know, was the best lead of a family, you know, head of household. He worked with his family, they worked as a unit and stuff like that. So we can't even deny that this is new or, you know, it's, not, it's a cultural thing. We have this all along. But you've done that opportunity where you created this, this particular environment where you stopped your career in a way because you wanted to, to do something that is, you know, uh, noble and really, which is taking care of your family. So, so again, can you share with us that, you know, with the, with our audiences, because for the women out there and the men out there, you know, if this is a, a question mark that you might have, like, you know, oh my God, do we, we go to career? How do I do it? I mean, there are choices to be made, right? You made the one that made sense for you and your family. So was yeah. that a difficult choice or was it you know, an no. easy decision? Actually, it wasn't. I think uh, at the at the end of the day, you have to figure out where your priorities are. I think once you you decide that you want to have a family, you want to raise a family, you want to have kids, you have to start prioritizing. And when my husband and I sat down and we talked about this, we realized our priority is going to be the kids. And for me to, and, and I'm not saying that this is wrong or judging anybody that does this, but for me to have a newborn in the daycare nine hours a day, it, it just, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, I was fortunate enough that my husband is able to be the, you know, the support for our family financially and that I'm able to do this because let's recognize that not a lot of couples can do this. Maybe financially they're not able to. We were able to do it, alhamdulillah. You know, we decided that I would do more in the household, um, you know, giving up my career because I I do, I, I am not the person that is bound to one career. I can find other things to do from home and, and, and just having that ability, it, the decision was made that I would be the one to stay home to do this. Um, so it, I don't think it was hard. I think once you think about the children and their future and how much you can contribute, especially in those first five years of their lives, uh, we had two girls, um, Jenna and Sarah, and uh, both of them, I didn't go back to work until or started my, my restaurant until they were already in kindergarten, both. So, well, one was in kindergarten, the other one was in first grade. So it, it worked out, you know. Um, I think you just have to, to sit down, talk and figure out what you what your priorities are. It's going to make the decision easier once you figure that out. 
thank you because that and by the way you you really summarize it well because to your point it, it's a sit down you know if one of the, the the parties in the couple can sustain the financial burden i mean it's easier to do it that way you know you have other skills that you were able to still run from home things and and supplement and you were able to make that that decision based on financial sense and also like you know the human part of it because you wanted to raise your kids at least that that's that's a period of where the kids needs their their their, their, their real upbringing correctly because if not they'll be in daycares and stuff it's not the same uh, as if you were to take care of them the proper way until you put them into the school system and then you maintain and you were able to do that so again uh, you know because sometimes that's a question like oh my god you know once you get married your career goes or you know or like your husband you know and again this is this i'm talking because we i know our culture and we have some of these things by the way it happens in other cultures but it's not necessarily that i mean it's a matter of making decisions this is happening right in, in moroccan households not even the, the households that are moroccans in other places in the world even moroccan households people are making those those decisions to see now the world is tougher we talked about finances and expenses you know, it's getting tough financially on people. And sometimes you need to have three jobs each to actually make man's. But sometimes you have to also make those, you know, decisions where they're sacrifices, but they're good sacrifices because they make sense. As long as it's a mutual decision, that's it. I mean, and that's really important. So thank you for, for sharing that part. And again, hopefully we give some, you know, advice to to our young folks that are just about to get, because, you know, sometimes that, that, that be like, well, what do I do? Is this going to help, you know, our relationship, blah, blah, blah. You know, I can't give up my, my career. No one's going to give up their career. I mean, I know today, if you wanted to go back, you, you can, you can rebuild your career at any given time. You already have the time. You already have the ranking. You know, it's like riding a bike. You can go back into any industry and, and be able to do this. And that's the other thing. When you have skills, those skills are with you at all times. Yeah. You know, you can switch them. Like, again, I, I've done a lot of things similar. I mean, I've literally, you and I have similar paths in a way because I've done exactly I've leadership in sales and so on and so forth and in, in different industry, but similarly. Uh, you know, you're in real estate. I've been in real estate as well. So, so we, you know, and decisions are always made about certain things that you have to do with your your significant other, your spouse. And it's always an important piece. And your kids have to have some level. And again, if you want kids now, if you don't want kids, that's okay. Because we right. hear this a lot in our culture in the, the States, for example, all kids are later. I, my career is everything right now. And some, some families, they don't have kids until they're like way older in their, their, their age. Now that's a decision they make, but I can tell you, I've heard stories about like how it's not the same, you know, at a later age, or well, as you get older, Things are not the same. Your physical aspect is different. You know, your stamina is different. Kids need a lot of energy and you're not going to have that energy. So again, these are decisions, folks. We're not talking about, you know, family, you know, social gathering today or, or social, you know, uh, upbringing, but it's just an idea of a business uh, perspective from an actual Moroccan who actually had a career path who made the decisions to stay home for a period for kids. And again, so that is, an, you know, a great choice. There's nothing wrong with it. It made sense for you. And it may not make sense for other people. But again, if you're out there listening, this could be something to just consider as an option when you make you, you get to that that point. Now, Taria, you went to the business. That's the other part. What are some of the the what makes you what made you think restaurant specifically? Was this a, a Moroccan restaurant or was it like a just a regular restaurant? No, this was a franchise. So oh. th this was kind of a, this was a kind of a a weird path, but I mean, I, I did have a restaurant background. As I had mentioned, I worked in the restaurant when I was in college. Um, so when we started to think about a business at the time, 
the franchise just made so much sense. Let's get into something structured, something that, you know, there's there's other people that are also working alongside you to make the decisions of what's the best financial uh, solution for cost of goods, for this, for that. So we picked that. The other aspect of it was, let's think about something that represents us. So we wanted to have a, we wanted to do a halal restaurant. So halal and franchise, it would, there weren't a lot of choices. At the time, there was a new franchise that had just started. It was called Burger I Am. So, oh my goodness. No, hold on, hold on. Yeah, Don't yeah. tell me you got one of those. You and I yeah. got, so that's, yeah, you know, I we lost money on that one too. We were actually we started exactly the same thing in about 2019, yeah. 2018, and it didn't work. Same, so. 2018. <laughs> yeah, that's when we started too, and we actually went as far as opening. And and to be honest with you, the concept was fantastic. I think the guy left home and took the money. They and got abandoned him. ship and then things just started to fall apart. At that point, we started to do, everybody started to do their own thing. So it lost the franchise touch. Um, we were no longer a collective power, which is why it became weak. Now, the other part of it, the other section of it was that you, we, as franchisees, we were penalized by community members because we chose Burger I Am. Now, at the time, our train of thought was, let's just find something that offers a halal option. This was it. There was nothing else. This was it. But for a lot of community members, they called this a treason because the owner of the company is Jewish or is from Israel. Now, for me, that was besides the point. For me, it was, this person is offering a valid halal option. Let's let's jump on it. If another person was that was from anywhere, if a McDonald's was offering a halal option, that would have been fine. So why are we going to you know, stoop to this person is from here, this person is from there. So it was, and I think I, we didn't realize this in the beginning, but then we came into a political war that was going on and we were in the middle of it. We opened in Parsippany, New Jersey, and there was a huge um, um, Afghani, Pakistani, Palestinian community, which did fight us tooth and nail at the time, which was unfortunate, but I, I won't, I don't regret it one bit. I think I learned a lot from uh, the commercial side of real estate, from um, building a business profile and getting the financing for it and putting it together. I mean, it was a huge learning experience. Nothing that money can buy you for sure. Like Nigeria, like it's funny. I'm, I'm listening to you. Oh, by the way, just just a disclaimer: the owner of Burger I Am is Moroccan of Jewish, of Jewish. Moroccan is Jewish Moroccan. You know, uh, so he is Moroccan. 
but but he just didn't do the right thing. But but Moroccans or not Moroccans, unfortunately, he ran back to uh, you know uh, out of the country and left everything in the air and many franchises. I actually I, we still owe they still owe us money, <laughs> you know. Yeah. We, you know, Same. we put in, but you opened, so you were able to run your own way, but we never opened. We were just in the process. We luckily oh, okay. did not get into, we were about to sign a, you know, a lease at a mall and everything, Long Island. And we stopped just before and, you know, then we caught up to it later on. They will never refund the money. And eventually we realized what happened. There is an actual lawsuit. There's, there's all kind of stuff going on with that. It was, it made the news. It was one of the worst. So again, just as a, as an advice folks, you do diligence on the franchisees or the franchises. And by the way, you're right. They did offer halal version. Uh, it would it would have cost more than the actual non-halal version. And and because the halal meat is more expensive, technically, that's all there is. Uh, but but they offered regular, you know, food. But they had more of a literally a Moroccan flavor to their their meals. I mean, you know, with the eggs and everything, like you know, like what you would find in a in a burger joint in Morocco. It was a great concept. It sure. was, it, it was, and that's what bought me. I mean, even the guy that sold me is is a is a Moroccan guy who got us into it, and you know. But so so like I said, I mean, you never know. But but franchises, and I love what you said. The reason you selected is because it was structured. Franchise does give you structure. Now there are caveats on franchises, and and I've actually explored others. We've had other opportunities to to work with franchises, uh, in the fitness world, for example. I mean, you're locked into contracts, you're locked into the services, you're locked into what they give you, you cannot do your own thing. So it's very, you have to, to, to accept the franchise for what it is. And, you know, it's a commitment. It does cost you not just to buy in the franchise, it's also like the cost of, of whatever you build. You build up, yeah, the build up and everything is going to be there. Now, you already went, like, like, again, you probably got worse than we had it because you went all the way through and then, then you know, you 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 face the reality that you're on your own. So that was another thing. I mean, I know there are a few more left. Actually, they still have them. Yeah, out there, yeah. the ones that were and first. Had it not been for COVID, we probably would still have been going. I mean, we it wasn't bad. The business of it, the concept was really good. I think the biggest issue was COVID hit. Cost of goods were really high, especially for halal meat. Um, we were one store, so we didn't have the collective power to be able to negotiate. Um, so that's, I think that's what mainly, you know, was, was getting to us. I actually, believe it or not, I, I ended up selling the store to somebody else that opened. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with hot, uh, Birdie's Hot Chicken. They're in Brooklyn. Yeah, so they ended up opening their store there. They they used everything that we had and just kind of um, the name and changed the decoration and, and the name. Uh, but it went to a great it went to a great uh, operator. It's actually he's doing really good right now. So, well, I guess he didn't get in, into the, the, the political mess. Right. And, and you know, well, that's the other thing. Like, folks, yeah. again, unfortunately, politics do happen and they do touch on business. Uh, so whatever business you're in, you have to sometimes to to be careful on how what damages can happen if yeah. there is a political you know uh, like that takes place and and it affects that. And whenever it goes with you know all these religious things, you're going to have some some challenges. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's there's a, a distinction that we all have to make when we're using our boycott in power. Is who are we hurting? Are we hurting? In this case, they were hurting Muslim operators of Burger I Am because the other operators were fine. 
that the Muslim operators all had because they thought we were all sending money to support, I don't know who, but literally we weren't even paying franchisee dues because the Burger I Am never collected any franchisee dues. They they just were barely just helping their franchisees get by to, to stand up on their feet. We weren't even there yet. And that never even happened. So I think it's very important that we do our, our due diligence and the, the the franchise itself was based in California. They didn't have the money to be able to support anybody overseas. So it's it's just it was just a political mess. I think it was more hurting the Muslim operators that were trying to do the right thing. I think I've I've watched something the other day that you know whatever that's going on now, there's boycotts left and right. And and by the way, I am not against the idea of boycott. I mean, you know, sometimes they they have they have a mission and they do work. But you're right, it's the idea like who is being really primarily hurt. I mean, because mm-hmm. because. Yeah, someone said that, like, you know, if you book at a company in Morocco, I mean, the owner is Morocco, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, but but that's the thing. Now, now everyone that wants to invest in anything needs to know, like, is this going to be, a, you know, something that we need to book out in the, in the future? Or we'll have, yeah. I think that's a question that you have to do now. I mean, if you're thinking about building a business and you especially if you're going to get a brand name that is worldwide. Recognize it from now. Is this going to be a, a nuisance in the future or not? If if you know that there's a potential, even a spec where there's going to be some boycott, maybe it's time stay to away. decide. Hey, stay away. Again, these are lessons learned. You know, no one can prepare you for them. Luckily, we have you have two people that have experienced it. You know, <laughs> yeah. So we're sharing our own life stories here. Now, this happened. There was no conflict at the time. I mean, there's always an ongoing conflict, especially you know in in this pattern. But but in when we did it, there was nothing like live, you know, heavy stuff. You know, listen. I mean, my partner, my my real business partner, is Palestinian, <laughs> and he actually he he. I have to say, I want to give him credit. He told me, "Do not do it," because. He did find out that the owner of Burger King did something similar overseas. But at the time, you know, I was like, well, that was long years ago with a different brand. So we thought that this was in the U.S. We're protected. That's right. really where we, we, we've made it wrong. You know, because you think that you're going to have all the laws and stuff. And when we actually investigated and we got a lawyer and stuff, there's nothing we can do. No, I mean, even the FTC got involved. And even with everything that they've done, at the end of the day, they couldn't do anything. And I just heard a couple of days ago that they settled with Oren uh, for like $1,000 or something like Seriously? that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they, I, I owe them a phone call. I know the lady that's in charge, I owe her a, a phone call. But we had an attorney as operating franchisees. We had an attorney. We tried everything. There's just nothing we could do. I mean, we thought we were protected by the S- We got an SBA loan. This was investigated and approved by the SBA. So if the FTC and the SBA let this slide, I mean, he pulled one over them too. They didn't know what they were getting into. And for all intents and purposes, I think he did mean for this to work. It just became too much at some point. Um, it's it was oversold. It's just like a cryptocurrency that you oversell and then it crashes because everybody wants to to cash in on it and then it just doesn't work. So well, you're right, you're right, right. Not nothing is guaranteed. I mean, you know that, and that's the thing in business. You make decisions based on the in, the information you have. The information usually is sellable and looks good, and you will take you know. And by the way, I can give you another example. I mean, my wife has been in in the franchise world as well on the fitness side and some of these franchises also collapse eventually based on yeah. a lot of things you know sometimes you know some of these 
especially the new franchises, what they do is they build a concept. It works for a couple of years. They make it franchise. They get a lot of, you know, people that are interested because it, it kind of sells the idea of like, hey, this is a cookie cutter ready to go. Boom. You place, you go, you open the doors, you have, and we have the support. But then you find out it's not really what really was expected up front. And then you'll, you'll wind up, you know, struggling. I mean, a good example in her case, one of the franchisees that are similar, like, because they used to have like a collective in Jersey. And mm-hmm. one of the people lost all their money and, and he actually died uh, out of, you know, because, you know, they, they lost everything they had. And this person, I guess, that affected them physically and eventually they, they collapsed. You know, that, that gets to that point. So, folks, again, uh, this is a worldwide show. It doesn't right. matter what business you're in, you know, you got to do your diligence. I mean, it's a hit and miss. You know, if you start your own, it's still going to be a tough one. You get a franchise, it's still, I mean, you get a franchise that's been like maybe for a few decades, you get lucky, but those are expensive. I mean, if you have, uh, you know, let's let's call it Dunkin' Donuts, for example. Those are like, you know, everywhere in the States. I mean, Jersey, they're like every three blocks yeah. you can find one. It costs a lot of money to get into them. But if you had them 20 years ago, and I remember in the 90s, you can get one for almost nothing. Now, yeah. At the time, I was stupid. I didn't think about it. <laughs> I should have done one of those then, and you know, I'd be like, you know, uh, very rich at this point, but it didn't work. But you never know. See, again, that's the thing. Every single person, every one of you watching and listening, you know, here in Morocco, somewhere in the world, you want to, you know, bring an opportunity to the country. And that's the other thing. Even bringing something to the country, you don't know. If it's going to work, is it not going to work? How How is it going to work for you? Do you have the right potential? Do you have the right, I guess, uh, power, you know, to back you in Morocco, for example, mm-hmm. to bring in, a, you know, a franchise to Morocco is not just you. There's going to be some powerful people that need to be part of it, you know, in terms of getting you in the in, in the process and the approvals and stuff, because that's that's how it works. You know, you just you can't just bring in something to compete in the country without having someone that has some, you know, real solid, you know, up, you know, and about after we've tried, <laughs> it's not easy. So there's all that. So Trey, thank you for sharing this. And you know, we didn't I didn't I didn't know about this. And so it's funny that we we both went into the same, you know, franchise at the same time. That's what are the odds, right? But so 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 now 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 COVID happened, the business near didn't, you know, work well. And by the way, even to your point, COVID happened, so it kind of killed a lot of the, the businesses, especially if you were not strong enough, you wouldn't have resisted it. So that that's done. Uh now now you've you went into a different career and it is it is a career that is very lucrative also up and down depending on the seasons depending on the time now i've been believe it or not i started in real estate in 96 i got my license in 96 and it's funny i i we bought the school that we actually took our class <laughs> you know a, couple, a year later and this was in brooklyn and bay ridge and uh, we've had that school until last year it got it got you know closed um, but, but for, for all these years, we had the school, I'm actually a licensed uh, instructor as well. So, I mean, I know you did your course in Jersey, but we did only New York, but, but so I've been in that business up and down, we've invested with stuff, but a real estate business can be booming. And it's always going to exist. You know, I yeah. love what you said earlier is about, this is probably one of the best investments and the, the most investment that people are going to make. And uh, the biggest decision, you know, for a couple or a person to actually do, cause it's, it is, it is not cheap you know it's we talk a big money and even right. if the house is fifty thousand dollars it's still a big decision because this is this is your home there's a lot of factors that that, that affect commercial real estate is one thing residential is another so so Terry, can you share with with our audiences uh in morocco now here's the thing by the way just for the moroccan audiences specifically the real estate business in the states is very different from what it is in morocco and i'll tell you why it's very regulated 
You just cannot decide I'm I'm going to be a real estate agent and just sit up in a garage and and have a sign, you know, you know, and get people to sell. I mean, that's what happens in Morocco. I mean, it's very easy to actually become a realtor. Not in the state. You got to go to a course. You know, you have to 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 pass a school exam. You have to do a state license. Your fingerprints are there. I mean, it is a legitimate, you know, product. There's real law. There's a whole law, you know, in 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 this in every state, and they vary by state. Some states have similar rules and laws. Some states are different. So just to, to give that disclaimer to people that are in Morocco, I'm not sure how it is in 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 parts of the world, but I'm pretty sure in 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 for example, Europe is going to be a similar concept. But in the states, it's not an easy. Once you're in it, it, it's got a lot of opportunities. Now, yeah. you, Taria, you've done a little bit of the uh, or commercial first. Now, commercial is different. Uh, and then you have the residential. Can you share with us that whole experience and why real estate specifically for you? So, for me, I'll start with this. Real estate for me is just combines everything for me. It has the sales part of it. It has the people interaction it has the networking opportunity. It has the emotional support opportunity. It just combines everything that I love in a job or that I've ever loved in a job. It combines it in, in, within it. Now, my experience has been very different depending on who I'm dealing with. So that really keeps it interesting. I, do, I deal with different communities. I deal with regular uh, clients that are from the States. I deal with communities. Um, I have a huge Egyptian community uh, clientele. <clears throat> I've recently opened up more to the Moroccan community as well. I've been um, taking on uh, clients from the Moroccan community. And I love seeing that Moroccans are finally shaking off their rental shells and trying to get into the real estate market, which I think that that's going to make a huge difference for future generations um, of this community. I don't think we could emphasize enough that real estate is what builds generational wealth. Um, I don't think Moroccans really were focusing on this point just a few years ago. I think now they're seeing more that you know, where you live determines kind of the future of your of your kids as well. Because if you live in a heavily dense rental community, the school advantages are not going to be the same as a suburban area where you own your house, you pay taxes, and you get a say in what goes on in the school as well. <clears throat> so I'm seeing that there's a little bit more um, collective knowledge of of what this is and and how to approach it is another story i think moroccans are doing their best trying to figure out what's going to work best for them but i think and, and i'm sorry i'm going into this more from a moroccan perspective than anything else because i think it's important to to focus on on the moroccan community experience in all of this i think we're still stuck in the mindset of I want a cheap house. Where can I get it? And I think that Moroccans at some point have to understand why, why other communities are focusing more on, I want good schools. Where can I find them? I want um, good uh, value of my house or good equity in the long run. Where can I find it? Yes, you're going to be paying more. 
but in the long run, you're going to be making more. And this is where it's challenging for me right now. It's just changing the mindsets of our Moroccan community when it become when it comes to real estate. Um, from the interaction with the realtors, this is not transactional. This is not a transactional um, experience at all. It's not somebody that you find that's going to buy you a house and that's going to move on. That's not going to work in the long run. You need somebody that's going to give you the the emotional support and balance you with the financial aspects of things. You need somebody that's going to help you find the best fit for you in terms of location, in terms of um, schools, in terms of your family needs. And I think uh, Moroccans are still more focused on the transactional part. Um, I, I can tell you that my general experience with the Moroccan community has been give me the information and then I'm going to go to another realtor to close the transaction. That's been the, the experience so far. And it's just, it, it doesn't serve them in the long run because not just myself, but other realtors, when they see who the, who the person is and where they're from, they're immediately thinking, I need to sign a contract with this person because they're going to use me and go find somebody else to close the transaction. So you're going to end up limiting your, your pool of people that can help you, whether it be lenders or realtors. So I think we need to change the collective mindset of Moroccans on how to approach the, the buy-in process, uh, the transaction or the selling process. You need to do your due diligence, find out who you're dealing with, find out who that realtor is, find out which areas they serve. Because I, because some people insisted, I went out of my way to different areas that I don't service. And I'm trying to explain to them that that's not gonna help you. You need somebody that is well-versed in that location specifically. I served the North Jersey market, me going with you to South Jersey, as much as I can do to help you, it's, it's gonna, you're going to be at a disadvantage. You need somebody that knows every inch of, of the area that you're trying to buy into. But I think more so we need to change the mindset of, let me just go to an area that is cheap because cheap is for a reason is why is it cheap is it cheap because of the surrounding area is it cheap because inaccessibility is it cheap because value is very low what if you decide to sell in five or ten years then are you going to make your money back are you just are you going to benefit do you just want to buy it today for a hundred thousand and sell it tomorrow for 80 because you have to or is it somewhere where you can build wealth for your kids, which is what we're seeing today, people that have inherited homes in the last 10 years are now banking, and that's how they're making their kids wealth for the future. So sorry, I know I went way no, out. No, 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 I, I love it. I love it, actually. And, and it, you bring in a lot of good points and, and great points, as a matter of fact. You know, first of all, real estate is... Um, probably the most value that someone can have. I mean, we hear about all other investments. The real estate has always been the historic investment that does pin out. Now, providing you make the right choices, the right communities, the right neighborhoods and stuff. Now, now again, we're talking around the world. Everybody 
you know, this can benefit from this discussion. But I want to just go to the point of the Moroccans. I mean, again, this is the same in Morocco, for example. You know, if you buy a property in a neighborhood, you know, you know, for example, I don't know wh where you're from, uh, Toria, in Morocco. Casa. <laughs> so, Casa. So, so, so imagine if you bought a house, I don't know, in, uh, in uh, what do you call that? Um, one of the, the like, uh, India, California, one of those, those affluent neighborhoods, if you want to call them, right? It's the same concept, right? You bought it 20 years, 30 years ago. The land was very, you know, compared to now, super cheap. Now you have, you can bank really some good cash in the property. Your property is worth millions. Well, same thing here. And 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 that's that's value to value, land, you know, and 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 progression of the land, you know, value. But but I think what you stated very powerfully is, you know, people in at least in the States, they seek blue ribbon school systems, they seek the neighborhood safety, they seek the the is this neighborhood going up or going down? Is there drugs? Is there this? Is there that? Is there, you know, whenever I love what you said, if the value is so cheap. Why is it cheap? Maybe the neighborhood is not safe. Maybe, you know, it's drug invested. Maybe the schools, they're not good. Maybe, you know, yeah, you go to suburbia, you're in the middle of nowhere, but but you're you're paying $20,000, $16,000 worth of taxes. You have at least 60% of that going to the school system and you can go and, and claim and make noise. You know, you don't have that in other places. Again, if you have kids, you know, that's where it is. You know, I mean, Listen, you can be uh, in the rental mentality and rental, you know, to a degree now is 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 worse. Like, I mean, I, you know, like I, I know, for example, you can get a two bedroom, you know, in New York, we get it. I mean, you, one studio is like now six, seven thousand dollars. I don't know. I forgot the, you know, the numbers are just going crazy now. Brooklyn, you can't even get a, a two bedroom, you know, for less than three, four thousand dollars, I think, in the right neighborhood. Now, you probably can again. You can go cheaper, but then are you safe at night? You know, when you come in, <laughs> you know, do you have do you have do you have to put bar you know you know barriers and barricade stuff in in your windows and your doors to get yeah. in? I mean, are you in jail? No, I mean, obviously barricades and bars are for jail, right? Sales, but if you if you have that, that's a problem, right? You do you want to be there? No, probably your school system is not going to be that good, you know. So those are decisions to make. Now you're buying a home, as they say, it's a home. Not a house. It's a home. You buy in the experience of family. You buy in, you know, where you're gonna bring your kids. You want to have that playground. You want to have that that ability to do things. You have safety. You have police patrols and things like that. So these are things. And you want a school that has, you know, a good academic, you know, level and things like that. And I, I love what you said. This is, by the way, not just in real estate. You know, unfortunately, we as a community, we need to learn to support each other more and more and more. You know, and I, you know, I think I think that's the thing. We. It's not about like I talk to Teria, but I go talk to to james later on if i talk to Teria, Teria is doing the work i mean you know she's just as good as anybody else if she's licensed that means she's qualified to do this job you know now i mean maybe Teria didn't do a good job you know showing me the stuff that's also not true because it depends what you tell Teria. right I mean, i'm giving your name as an example but but let's think about it this way if you want to buy a house you also need to know what you want <laughs> you, you can't give people like, i just want a house you know in this range you got to give them like certain specifics, you know, what is it you want in the house? How big is the house? You know, what area that you want? I love what you said. You, you live, you work in the North of Jersey, completely different demographics, completely different, different, you know, neighborhoods, areas, and also price range from, you know, if you go further South in the state, it's going to be cheaper, but now you're like an hour away, you know, two hours from any metropolitan area, unless you want to go to Philly or, you know, that's another story. But but so you have to know what you're doing. Is your job close by? Is your job not? You know, all these things are decisions that you have to to be aware. But we need to to learn to do that. And I love what you said that finally, 
uh, we're seeing more and more, you know, Moroccans acquiring properties and stuff as opposed to just renting. Now, let's let's face it, folks. Rent is zero. You know, it's all money lost. You put it out there and it's never going to give back to you. You don't have tax credits. You have nothing. If you do real estate, well, you have equity in the house. Whatever you put down is there and whatever value in the property. If you bought a house in Brooklyn, for example, back in the days, now you're in a million, <laughs> you're a million mark, two million mark. You, you can cash in talking about generational wealth. Your kids are going to be happy. A lot of people. The majority of our clients are people that have sold in Brooklyn or Queens. They bought for 300. They're at 1.4, 1.5 million now. So they're coming here to get bigger properties than to cash. use the cash for their kids. Exactly. Cash. I mean, they boom. They just you come in. Hey, no banking needed. You know, we can close in 10 days. Done deal or less. You know, I mean, just get the title, get all the stuff done and you're done. I mean, it makes a difference, but that's the thing. It's it's long vision, long term. And 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 real estate can move quickly, folks. Listen, I, I'm not, you know, true story. I used to, to have properties in New York and I made a mistake of selling them sooner than later. <laughs> now, we sold before the, the 2008 mark, which was okay. But had we, you know, kept them, we would have gained a lot more for those properties that we had, you know, but again, for me, it was other reasons. We didn't want to stay in, in the, the riba stuff or like, you know, the usury or, t- you know, uh, interest business. And so we kind of did all that. But so there was different decisions why we did it. But but again, you have, now, of course, you're going to get into that, that fine line, riba versus not riba and things like that. You know, we're not going to do a really There's thing. options now. There's yeah. there's many, many options. And and by the way, the the, the bank industries they have actually you know Islamic you know financing if you Correct. want that. So yeah. there is that. So there's a lot of. Th- and by the way, I did that too. I mean, we use some Islamic financing, but but I'm telling you, it's a very unique approach. So so I love what you said today about like the community is now. And by the way, this is not a general term. I mean, th- there is a percentage of the community that's been around the states long enough that they've been property owners and investors and things like that, but it's not the majority. It's not the bigger percentage. When you compare it to, for example, the Chinese community, the Italian community, the other communities, right? They're big with properties and real estate. I mean, that's what they do. They buy homes. And that's, and by the way, it's the same thing. I mean, if you think about renting a house right now, you're going to need two months or three months, the down payment, the first month and the last month at least. Right. And then if you were using an agent, you're probably paying the agent. So Mm -hmm. about, yeah, that's like, if it's 4,000 or 5,000, you're looking at 20,000. You get an FHA loan, like first-time home buyer, you're probably going to be, you know, in the same range of down payment, <laughs> and now you have your own home, right? And again, I'm just giving some, some, you know, numbers that are low, but doesn't matter what the property range, even if it's a half a million dollars, whatever. And although that that's that's difficult to find these days in the right places because everything is going up, uh, but but the idea is that you're still ahead of the game. And by the way, if you're going to rent a place for two or three bedrooms for four or five thousand dollars. Might as well get a house for less than that. At least you have your credits, you have your equity. That money is not lost. You can sell it and get money back. You can cash money in it. There's many things you can do. It's different, you know, and it's a different way to do this. And by the way, I love what you said. It is an emotional decision. Uh, it is fulfilling because you do help people really build homes. I mean, you know, one of the things it, it's it's really when you're selling homes and you see how people you can visualize with them the whole concept you know, where the kids are going to play and things like that. It's it's a warm feeling, right? And, you know, it's it's just a, a good business to be in, to help people. There is plenty of growth in it as a, as a business itself. I mean, you can become your own broker. You can have your own agents. There's a lot of things to do. But but thank you for, for by the way, a great opportunity to network. That's how we met. <laughs> you know, so so you never know, you know, you meet people, there's, there's yeah. different things. And by the way, I want to commend you because, you know, you wanted a few that I know Moroccans actually are, who are 
out there in events and doing the work, you know, uh, you know, not everybody. I mean, I know a few that, that are, that are out there, tabletop events, festivals and things like that. And, you know, networking opportunities and stuff. And you know what? There's, there's nothing wrong with that. You make it happen. It's part of the culture. It's been happening and it's happening and it makes, and you can make good money. I mean, as, as a realtor, you know, there's, whether you're a seller agent or buyer's agent, you're going to make some percentage of the commissions of that. And the bigger the properties, the bigger the chunk is. Now, <laughs> it has to be consistent, right? To re- the business is not like, you know, hit and miss. You're going to be like, you know, uh, at least uh, I'm going to ask you, what is what is the name of the game for you? I mean, I, I have my own way of, of looking at it. But for you to, to our audiences, what would be the best way as a realtor to, to thrive? Well, I think... Um... See, I think it depends on the person because for me, I can't take on 10, 15 clients at a time and think to myself that I did right by those clients. So you could take 10, 15 clients at a time and just kind of juggle them around and be closing transactions and that's fine. But for me, I like to focus on certain amounts of clients that I can service properly because let's face it, every client thinks you're only working with them. They're going to expect you to show them houses every day. They're going to send you a property. They're going to say, can I see this tonight? <laughs> um, so it's it's just really, for me, I'm a mom. I, I have a, a family to take care of. So it's important for me to set the limits and just say, this is how much I can do every month. And that's that. <laughs> But I mean, you can do whatever you want with the business. If you if you don't have a lot of obligations and you could potentially be out all day, every day, that's fine. But half of the time, half of the business is being out there, networking, highlighting yourself, like you said, uh, putting yourself out there as the community expert on matters. Um, and this generally works with almost all communities. I, I will say the Moroccan community is a little bit of an exception, but with all communities, it's generally if you're out in their site and you're out there putting yourself out there, you're going to get the reward. It's mainly referral business. Uh, 90% of our business is referrals. Um, you have somebody that bought a few years ago and I, I'm already there now where people that closed on their houses back in 2020 or 2021 are now selling because they see the potential in selling and, and just moving a little bit out of the area. So it's it's just a word of mouth and referral business. Again, sales is, is referral word, and yeah. there's nothing better than word of mouth. And and by the way, I love what you said. But but here's the thing: you are an expert in this area. As a matter of fact, I mean, I've been in the stage long enough. I've known a lot of people in the community, and and in in the real estate world. I've listen. I've been. I had a school for twenty plus years. We had thousands and thousands of realtors coming through our doors for their continuing education, and I have not met maybe one Moroccan, I think, in the whole time. <laughs> and and you are the second one that I think that I, I, I know of, of a realtor background that is actually active. I mean, I was in New York now, in Jersey. I mean, the only one I know. But that just right. shows that there's not a lot of us doing this, but for those that are doing it, I mean, they are the experts. They're doing the business. They're working, and they're working with all other communities. We should take advantage of our, you know, people that can help us get in right. there. Yeah, Teresa's not going to lie to you. I mean, and, and this business is not about lying. It's about giving you the right value, the right stuff. As long as you ask for the right things and you give them the description of what you want, the yeah. realtor can do that for you. It's not about, by the way, 
do not want to see 10,000 houses. You want to be zoned in into like, what do you want? What exactly the neighborhoods, the price range? And then so the realtor can actually really hone in on those. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. If, if you start, here's the thing, guys, it's like a meal. If you have 20,000, you know, you know, foods in front of you, you're going to get lost. So what are you going to eat? Mm-hmm. You're probably going to get. But we're all going to get lost. <laughs> exactly. But if you 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 concise your your decision on like what I want, what the neighborhoods, the size of the house, whatever the description you want, you want a pool, you want this, you want that, you want by the school, you want by transportation, you know, then then it gives the 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 true dynamics that the realtor is going to give you, and they're going to do a better job helping you. You know, but if you every day like, oh, well, how about if we can add something or how if you know, if you keep doing this, as you said, you know, realtors also are busy people. They have other people. You're not the only one. And that's the other thing. By the way, I think it's our culture. Once we hire someone, we think that that person, you know, we own them (laughs) and and they're basically ours, you know, and the speed dial. It doesn't work that way, folks. I mean, yes, the customer relationship is, is always there. And remember something. You know, there's there's different levels of real estate. Like you can be, a, as I mentioned, seller's agent, which basically you represent the seller. The property is yours. You list that property and you basically sell in for someone, their property and share in the market. And the other way is you are a buyer's. You'll get hired by someone who's looking for a house and then you are selling what's in the market. And that's another one to look at it. And that's actually another dynamic. Either one of those, it's a lot of work. You want to be showing homes, but you want to show the correct homes in the right time. Typically, show ends out in the afternoons. People come from work; they want to do that. Weekends is busy. I know I take your time, <laughs> you know, and you gotta go. But but you know, so there's a lot of stuff there. So so quickly, Teria. Thank you first of all for sharing all that. Oh, now, how's thank the market? No, no. How's the market right now? Before we it's we insane, insane. Is it it's, good? Is it bad? Can we can we? What advice I, would you give people? See, here's the thing: uh, the market today is still as competitive as it was in 2021 when the rates were really low. Uh, surprisingly, even with the rates being high, we're still going 50, 60, 70,000 over asking just to get the property, waiving some part of appraisal, some part of inspection, just to get the deals through. I think it, I think the mentality of, I want to get a good deal is not here. You have to leave that checked at the door because today, if you can get a property in your price range, if you're looking in the 500s, look at houses in the 450 because you're not going to get $500,000 house for 500,000. It's impossible. So the market is hot for sellers. It's still a seller's market. Um, buyers just have to, you know, to be open-minded and to kind of be realistic with their budgets and their expectations because that's the biggest challenge right now. If you have a budget for a Mercedes, you're going to get a Mercedes. If you have a budget for not to be disrespectful to Kias, but if you have a budget to a Kia, you cannot expect to buy a Mercedes. It's just not going to work. You have to be realistic with yourself, with your budget and with your expectations. That's the biggest thing. Qualifications have they've been difficult now more than ever because I you know no no it's fine I think it's very realistic very very realistic I think banks are the same they they approve you based on your income your credit score the usual right correct yes there is I think the 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 qualifications for lending are just as realistic as they've been the last few years no changes there. Just a quick advice to our Moroccan community. If you are interested in purchasing, you know, you want to prepare your credit, you want to prepare your finances to be at least, you know, you know, ready. Because again, you want to buy the house, you're going to have the tools because 
if you're not pre-qualified or at least you're not ready to be pre-qualified, you're just going to struggle and, you know, you don't want to take, and a lot of realtors will not even make the attempt to take you around if you're not pre-qualified because you're not going to get into the place. So what, what are some of the recommendations you want to tell people just to, to close this, this chapter as far as the real estate piece or the, pre, the pre-qualifying? So I think the biggest thing is planning ahead. Um, if you are a business owner, you need at least two years worth of financials of tax filing to be able to buy a house. So if you are uh, a contractor or a business owner, 1099, you start planning ahead because you cannot, the banks will not give you a loan if you don't have at least two years worth of history. Um, if you are on a W-2, then just start watching your credit. Uh, don't over- overextend it. Uh, pay down your credit cards. Make sure you're at a good ratio. Uh, I think 30% is is what uh, most banks are going to be looking for. Um, income to debt ratio is very important. So familiarize yourself with these terms. Start doing some research. Uh, don't apply for anything that you think you're not going to get because those ding your credits and stay on for a little while. And then banks start to look at decline rates and, and that's not going to help you. Um, If you are uh, doing mostly cash business, then talk to an accountant. You're going to have to start figuring out how to integrate that cash into your your income. Um, And I think this is the biggest challenge for most community members. It's a lot of people are cash earners and they don't, it doesn't show on their income. And then when they go to buy, it becomes very challenging. So I think that's the biggest thing right now. That's a lot of advice, <laughs> you know, and, and, and again, I think you covered it all. So, uh, well, listen, Terry, I know you have to, to go. It's, it's, it's busy season. There's a lot of work to be done and you have you to, to, to be out you. in the community. But so t- it was a terrific time. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. True pleasure. And we've covered a lot. So thank you so much. And again, folks, I mean, you had Taria, a realtor. She's an expert in what she does. Plenty of opportunity there. Plenty of learning from her. So uh, to, you know, connect with her, I'll have information. So if you're looking to purchase in Jersey, North Jersey specifically, we have someone that can help you. Uh, if you're in the world, uh, in Morocco, whatever, and you're trying to come here and have an idea, maybe. But if not, you've learned quite a few things about Taria's life and how she became who she is today and all the challenges and all the successes that she had. And hopefully you you can learn from her lessons and our lessons and all our guests, you know. So that being said, American Age, thank you for watching Talented uh, Morocco Worldwide. We'll be talking soon. New day, new show, new guest. Bye for now. Thank you.